Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll stop in Sacramento to speak with Matt George to talk about the Kings and their India trip. We'll go to Memphis to speak with Mark King of Locked On Grizzlies about the debut of Ja Morant in the preseason. And lastly, we go to Orlando to speak with Philip Rossman-Reich of Locked On Magic about Markel Fultz playing in an Orlando uniform for the first time. It's all coming up, the biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com and Yahoo Sports Australia and the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. The NBA is back. Preseason has kicked off. Lots of interesting stuff for us to talk about right across the league. So let's get to it. I'm joined now by the host of the Locked On Kings podcast, Matt George, is here with me, Matt the Sacramento Kings have completed two preseason games. They had a trip to India, took on the paces in both of those games. The NBA is back, so preseason action is here. And I think we got a decent, uh, a decent run at things. I guess with the Kings, there, it wasn't uh, a situation where they were just you know, playing nominal minutes for starters. They weren't running out funky starting lineups. I think we saw a lot of what we can expect from Sacramento this season. Is that sort of how you're viewing these two games? Yeah, absolutely, Josh. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be back on with you. Uh, it it was it answered a lot of questions, to, to put lightly. Now, there is still one major question mark in terms uh, of rotation. It also posed a lot of future questions that hopefully will be answered uh, by opening night. But, for example, we got a good idea of uh, what Luke Walton's rotation uh, is going to look like for the most part. Uh, game one specifically, uh, game one was a better example of, uh, of minutes distribution and what the, the minutes for the starters versus the bench unit is really going to uh, going to look like. We've been hearing rumors uh, that Trevor Ariza was going to have a bigger role with this Kings squad than expected. Uh, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know if I'm, I'm too excited about that. I would rather see less minutes for Ariza than more. Uh, but we saw the Kings leaving, uh, leaning heavily on him and leaning heavily on a lineup featuring him and Harrison Barnes as the wing defenders, moving Marvin Bagley to the five, especially down the stretch in, in game one, which was a, a relatively close game. Ariza uh, did not play in game two, which I think uh, was the the right decision there. But ultimately, uh, some questions answered also about the, the higher volume of threes that the Kings uh, wanted to take. They took uh, 36 three-pointers uh, in the first game and 20, or sorry, that's Indiana, 34 three-pointers in the second game. So that's certainly better. But we also know that this team still has a glaring issue that they faced for the last really decade, Josh, and that's when they are in close games, are they able to close it out and and secure victories? And even though they won 39 games last season, that's still a wall that they ran into against superior teams. Indiana looks great. They're a better team uh, on paper, and they've had more success, especially in the Eastern Conference. So it'll be interesting to see if they're able to correct that, because in game one, like we saw, the Kings were ahead the majority of the game, had a seven-point lead with only a couple minutes left. And the Pacers came back, forced overtime, and ended up winning that game by one. 
we saw Buddy Heel take on a pretty large role offensively. No, no surprise there. But I think a surprise was to see Harrison Barnes play as much as he did in uh, in game one. Like for almost 35 minutes, but 21 points, got to the line a lot. His time with the Kings last season, he took a, a much smaller load. Like he barely was uh, involved in terms of being an offensive priority. But we saw him get a lot more of the ball uh, under Luke Walton versus Dave Yeager last season. It wasn't so much the case in, in game two. But that's, that's something that really stood out to me in game one in terms of... You know, how Barnes was being used alongside Bagley and Fox. And Fox seemed to be more in the distributor role versus the attacking offensive force that maybe some expected him to be. Yeah, and that's a good observation, Josh. And I think a lot of it had to do with matchups and the fact that Harrison Barnes was getting to the line. I mean, he finished with 21 points in that game, did play 35 minutes, went 11-11 from the free throw line. The most encouraging part of Harrison Barnes's stat line to me, was the fact that he went two of three from three-point range. He actually hit the first bucket of the game, which was a wide-open three-pointer uh, because De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald drew the defense to the other end of the floor. So if he's able to consistently hit 66% uh, of his three-pointers taken, even if he's only taken three, four, five a game, uh, that's very encouraging for the Kings going forward. Game two, he certainly struggled uh, a little bit more, and that resulted in him only playing 16 minutes, which... I hope the Kings can strike a healthy balance between the two. I don't think it's it's fair at all to expect 35 minutes and 21 points a game uh, out of Harrison Barnes. Uh, hopefully he can continue to get to the line like that. Uh, but the good observation that you had was the fact that De'Aaron Fox in both these games really appeared to have more of a facilitator role. And while I'm okay with that because he showed growth in that area last season, I've very publicly said that if the Kings want to make the playoffs in the Western Conference, De'Aaron Fox needs to be that star and that leader. I have no problem with Buddy Heald scoring a bunch of points and being the go-to guy offensively when they need a big three, but I need De'Aaron Fox to be the guy that's getting to the line, getting to the basket, scoring close to the majority of points for this team and leading by example. And still, so far in these first two preseason games, we haven't really seen that. Yeah, we saw Heald getting a lot more of that uh, offensive volume and, and Barnes as well in those games versus Fox, which was a little confusing to me. I was expecting Fox to take that uh, that step forward into being that that number one guy. I think we're you know, are pretty confident that Marvin Bagley is going to be the starting power forward. So what do we see from him? He only started four games last season as Dave Yeager had those uh, tussles with the front office in terms of the starting uh, unit and, and having Nemanja Bielitsa over him. But Bagley, you're moving into this role here. What did he flash in these couple of games? A mixture of good and bad. Uh, the, the good was that he looks a little more comfortable and polished uh, with his back to the basket and just around the basket as a whole. Didn't show too much of an ability to space the floor. Went 0 of 2 from three-point range uh, in the first game. And then in the second game, he did hit 1 of 1 from three. But I, I want to see him away from the basket a little bit more, although that is a, a role that Dwayne Dedman is specifically taking on and is expected to take on a lot. Dedman is... is going to hang on the perimeter on the offensive end of the floor so that uh, Bagley has free range around the paint and on the block uh, to go to work when he wants to. But we still have seen some concerns with Bagley on the defensive end. Now, he did so show some shot blocking ability with that quick uh, athleticism and second jump that he has. So he can certainly hang his hat on that. But still physically, he was getting bodied and outplayed. Uh, Devonta Sabonis looked very, very comfortable against him and finished with 21 points uh, in game one. Uh, so that's still stuff that he definitely needs to work on is, is his physicality, being able to not be pushed around so easily down low. If the Kings are going to use him as a center at times, uh, they're going to need him to be able to hold his own. And in that small lineup, like I mentioned with Trevor Reza playing the three, Barnes playing the four and moving Bagley to the five, 
the Kings struggled with rebounding, and they're they're trying to lean heavily on Marvin Bagley as a rebounder, and it resulted in the Kings missing a couple of uh, key rebounds late that allowed the Indiana Pacers to come back and win game one. Uh, So that's a, a sacrifice that you have to make when you're going small, and Marvin Bagley needs to show a better ability to kind of counter that risk uh, by battling and using that athleticism and that motor to go get a few more rebounds than what he's getting right now. Last question on this Kings team. Matt, Harry Giles did not participate because he was having knee soreness. We know the knee problems that plagued Giles through college, and he missed his entire first season in the NBA. Uh, how worrisome is this? Uh, the the knee itself isn't too worrisome, and uh, it's because I've been encouraged from people outside the organization and inside the organization that that he is okay. This is more of a precautionary thing uh, that he is still going to be getting plenty of opportunity here in the preseason going forward. I'm more concerned about the fact that Rashawn Holmes and Amanya Bielitsa both played very very well uh, off the bench for the Kings. Here's the reality: is the Kings threw a, a significant amount of money at Rashawn Holmes. They like his motor and they want to find a space for him to play. And Imani Bielitsa has seemed to pick up where he left off with his pretty solid, consistent contributions uh, for the Serbian national team in the FIBA World Cup this summer. Uh, He is continuing to show an ability to space the floor, which is essential for the kind of offense that the Kings run. And uh, Harry Giles, we know he has a motor as well, but Rashawn Holmes was blocking shots, which was brilliant to see. Uh, He was battling for rebounds and he was running the floor. Uh, So Harry Giles does not have a clear golden ticket uh, straight path into consistent minutes with this team. He's going to have to battle and find his spot. And we know for a fact that as much as the Kings want Harry to be their future center going forward, and they're going to give him an opportunity to show that they're not going to give him that opportunity and those minutes at the expense of wins. They're going for wins first and foremost. And if Harry can't find a way to beat out one of those two guys and get consistent minutes that way, he might find a lot of time on the bench this year. It is going to be interesting for the Kings, for Harry Giles, and for everything this season that you said. 39 wins last season. They're going to need a few more than that to crack into the playoffs. So it is going to be a very, very intriguing year for Sacramento. And you'll have that all covered for us over on Locked On Kings. Matt, thanks for jumping on the show with me. Always a pleasure, Josh. Good to hear from you. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Locked On at checkout. Now I'm joined by the host of the Locked On Grizzlies podcast. Mark King is here with me. We've, uh, we got to see the number two overall pick from the uh, 2019 NBA draft in action for the first time after he sat out summer league, Ja Morant. Uh, played, started for the Grizzlies as they had a, a big victory against um, uh, Maccabi uh, Haifa. I think that's how you uh, how pronounce it. Um, let's start with Morant, who finished with 10 points and 7 assists. How do you look out there? Uh, John Morant, look, you know, he, at first, uh, for the first few possessions, he looked like he was a rookie, but then, you know, he he caught on very quickly as, as the first and second quarter. He played in a little bit of the third quarter as those – as the game wore on, he got more and more comfortable out there. He ended up, you know, really uh, showing off his athleticism and speed. And even in his court vision, that's something that uh, we talked about all from along on our show is, is his court vision, I think, something that will translate very easy to the NBA. And uh, he showed it off quite well. It's ended up with seven assists. So, um, you know, he looked great. Obviously, the level of competition is, is kind of a grain of salt there. But uh, just in this first game you know, ever in the NBA, just against quality competition, and a preseason game, I thought he looked great. He he's got some you know things to to work out as far as kind of just dribbling into the paint without a real direction or a clear path. But he was able to get into the paint 
quite easily and it really whenever he wanted to. Um, some of those things, like I said, you mentioned, you know, dribbling into the paint and just kind of without uh, without repercussion, without an idea of what he's trying to do, um, that that will probably, you know, he'll probably cut down on that as the games wear on. Um, but there was some of that today, but that's I think that's to be expected from a rookie point guard. In terms of, yeah, it is hard to judge, I guess. In terms of defense, which is one of the concerns that people had with Morant, how, how did he look out there on that end uh, of the court? He was he was fine on defense. I mean, I I know that that's a big concern for people of of what he's able to do against NBA players defensively, just how big he is. And uh, but I think I think that will um, people will see that he's a he's a better defender than I think he's given credit for for sure. Um, obviously, like I said, although all we talk about today is always with a grain of salt. It's just the competition is not is not NBA players, and it's still a preseason game against a national team that's not not great. So. Um, but you know, just out there against other players, I thought he looked great. I thought defensively he was fine. Um, the one thing you can probably look for, for John Morant, um, if you're looking at just kind of things for his defensive, uh, I guess, inabilities is he gets screened out of plays pretty easily. Um, and that will come, I think that will come with time as he's able to learn, uh, to go kind of, you know, sneak around some, some of those screens, but he has a tendency to get screened out of the plays easier than I would think he would be able to, but I think maybe as he puts on more muscle, maybe he gets a little bit uh, smarter on defense, that will get better. We had uh, the other rookie, Brandon Clark, starting alongside Jaron Jackson Jr. because Jonas Valanciunas was out. But I do want to talk about uh, Jackson here more, who uh, put up some pretty big numbers in limited minutes, 19 and 8 in just 21 minutes. The, the difference between year two Jaron Jackson and year one Jaron Jackson, it appeared pretty uh, pretty stark in this one. So, yeah. What are we taking away from this sort of game from what Jackson was able to show as really a, a dominant force on the court? Yeah, the biggest takeaway, takeaway for Jaron is is that he was, um, you know, he was aggressive. He was going towards the ball. He was he was getting in the mix and getting rebounds, something that he didn't really do his rookie year. Just, you know, first, I think that was based off uh, that Marcus Gasol was there when he first got there, and that was kind of Mark's job. And um, he was – they had him, him out more on the perimeter, which – um, with just the way the style they played with J.B. Bickerstaff. But this year, in this first game, the biggest the biggest detail that stood out to me was just his aggressiveness, his, his ability to go out and get rebounds. He had, I think he finished eight or nine rebounds a day. Uh, but also his, his aggressiveness on the offensive end, like going at players, sizing them up and dribbling, you know, going around them, driving down the lane. Uh, saw a couple sequences where he had a block, brought the brought the uh, ball down the court himself, and immediately just went at the player, didn't, you know, kind of like a secondary break. He, sized up who was in front of him, realized there was only one guy, you know, went straight at him. And so that was the biggest thing for, for me and Jaron today, uh, watching him play, is just the aggressiveness on both ends, knowing that, you know, he's high. He, he is the guy to go out and uh, get rebounds. He is the guy to go out and, and make his own offensive end. Also, he played at the five, you know, almost exclusively today. He didn't really play any four at all. So uh, obviously when you're playing in center position, that tends to lead to a little bit more rebounds, but that's something that he didn't really do at all last year. That was obviously, um, as you noted, with Jonas Valanciunas out as well, that was a little bit of a hiccup there. But it was just it was interesting to see. But the aggressiveness, aggressiveness I think, will stay no matter what. Now, you know, moving away, I guess, from this preseason game, a little bit with the Grizzlies, um, the news out of training camp is that uh, a player isn't there, and that is Josh Jackson, who they uh, acquired in that salary dump by the Suns. And we have uh, spoken about this before, that, that he wasn't the target of this uh, of this trade from the Grizzlies' point of view. They wanted Melton, they wanted the draft picks, and Jackson was just a, a seemingly a, a throw-in. The fact that he is not 
actually with the Grizzlies and he's with the hustle. Does that, even though he's got a pretty decent size guarantee on his contract, the Grizzlies need to cut people. They are, they've got two uh, extra contracts that aren't the, the standard exhibit 10 guys. Um, and you'd assume that Iguodala is probably gone. And I always thought Ivan Rabb was maybe a chance to, to miss out there. But is Josh Jackson spotting the NBA in peril here? No, I, I think he's fine. He'll he'll be on the roster after training camp. I don't think there's any situation where I, I you know, the only thing I can I can see if he, he doesn't end up on the rosters if they find a trade for him. Um, you know, the he obviously they didn't ask him to come to media days and they didn't ask him to do any of that uh, to face questions and, and for us to ask him about those type of things. But it does say a lot about your character if the team doesn't even want you around for media days. Uh, but, you know, we, I talked with Zach Kleiman, uh, you know, the GM of the team about Josh Jackson at media days. And he, he said there is a way back for Josh to this team there that they that they talked with Josh and uh, his camp and they laid out guidelines and, and what they want to see from Josh. And so there is a way back to the to this team for Josh Jackson. There's a way back to playing time in the NBA, but they've got some to see some stuff, whatever those goals are. They didn't share with us but their internal goals. They, they do have things they want to see him do before they're able to let him back on the court. But it does say a lot about your character if the team doesn't want you around at all, even for media days. I understand what they're doing. They're, they're more insulating him from questions than anything else. But it does say quite a bit about you if they just don't want you with the team at all. You kind of have to earn your spot back. I don't think that they're going to cut him or waive him. I think the most obvious cases for that is Ivan Rabb, who didn't even play today when the minutes mattered. Um, also, someone else that didn't play today with the minutes mattered and somehow managed to get a minus six in the box score in a preseason blowout was uh, Miles Plumley. So um, I think those are the two best case scenarios for the for people getting waived. Miles Plumley is a little bit more difficult. It's a $12 million contract. So maybe they try to move that and, instead of, of waiving it and eating the, eating the money. But again, Miles Plumley is just, he's terrible at basketball. And so I think they'll probably try to keep josh jackson on the idea that he could be something someday and his contract's a little bit more manageable um his contract's also a little bit uh kind of that sweet spot of throwing uh, throwing extra money into meet you know make make contracts more make trades work so i think josh jackson is safe for the time being well, it is going to be interesting to see this team uh, throughout the season from a fun perspective. You know, getting this debut from Morant and Brandon Clark and Jaron Jackson in a bigger role, there's going to be lots to look forward to. Not necessarily wins for Memphis fans, but a lot of excitement about how these young guys all develop. And Mark, you'll have that covered for us all over on Locked On Grizzlies. Thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA with me. Yeah, man, anytime. I'm joined now by the host of the Locked On Magic podcast, Philip Rossman. Reich is here. The Magic played their first preseason game over the weekend, and we got to see uh, Markel Fultz in action for the first time. When I last spoke to you about Fultz, it was a while ago, Philip, and the Magic were, weren't putting out a timetable on his return. We're not sure when he's going to be back, but there he was, ready to line up, coming off the bench for the Magic in their big win over the Spurs. So I guess the question is, Markel Fultz in a Magic uniform, how did he look? Oh, he kind of looked like a guy who hasn't played in about a year. Uh, there's definitely some rust, as you would expect from him, and as you expect in the first preseason game. But really, he showed a lot of what he can be for this and, and, and get into the, get into the lane a little bit, but definitely not a clean performance or a perfect performance. He had four turnovers, you know, made only three of eight shots, but just him being out there on the floor, shooting confidently, playing confidently was a really good sign for his development and, and for the team. And you could just feel this joy from him. Individual plus minus doesn't mean very much in a single game, especially in the preseason, but he was plus 30 and that has to count for something. 
Yeah, well, it's, yeah, exactly. If someone's plus five or minus five, you can say, well, that doesn't mean anything. But plus 30 is obviously a huge amount. In a game that the uh, the Magic did win by a considerable margin, it is just good to see Fultz out there. He had four assists, six points, uh, two steals during that time. The shot wasn't quite there. There's obviously some... Um, and some rust that needs to be worked off, but it does feel like at least he's going to be playing a role for the Magic from day one. That would likely be in a backup role, but yeah, maybe he does work himself into, into a starter's role as this Magic team did really roll uh, over the Spurs pretty comfortably here in San Antonio. What were the other takeaways? We had guys like Evan Fournier. You know, the starters only played 15 minutes. Fournier, who'd been in the World Cup, John Isaac, Aaron Gordon scored well. Was it the performance of those guys, or I guess was it more important to see the bench of Fultz, of Carter-Williams, and I guess last year's uh, number six pick, uh, Muhammad Bamba, who put in a, a pretty big line after being not only bad last year, but missing the end of the season with a uh, leg fracture. I mean, I think I think one of the big takeaways from this game for the Magic was the bench. I mean, I think a lot of Magic fans and, and Magic observers have kind of quietly talked about how deep this team is. Uh, there are uh, at least 12 guys that you could probably say should be in a, in the rotation or in a rotation. I mean, the, the 10 guys that, that played in last year. So seeing Marco Fultz get back on the court and, and look like he belongs on NBA court was a big step. So too was seeing Mo Bamba kind of get back into the, into the flow of things as well. He obviously missed the last about 30 games last season uh, with a, with a stress fracture in his, in his leg, just seeing him out there was a huge plus for this team. He had three blocks, I believe, in addition to those 18 points, but he was able to spread the floor a little bit with a shot and run the floor, which I think is a big thing the Magic want, to, want him to do. So just seeing those two young players out there kind of getting back into the flow of things is a pretty good sign for Orlando. Granted, they're probably doing it against deep bench players from the Spurs because the Spurs didn't play their full complement like the Magic did, but still just getting them out there, getting, getting them out on a dry run even was a very, very good sign. It is obviously a huge to be able to get these guys out there. Bumba had a pretty large usage, but what did happen is yeah, he was getting outplayed by Ken Birch last season, but Steve Clifford has said that Bumba will be in the, the rotation as that backup center from the beginning. And this is obviously a fantastic start for this Magic team, which has um, some pretty high expectations after making the playoffs last year. They want to push into a higher seed this year. Yeah, banking on a lot of this internal development from Fultz, from Bumba, but also from Jonathan Isaac, from Aaron Gordon. These are entrenched type starter Players, um, it's hard to take too much away from the preseason, Philip. But yeah, do we see anything new from those guys, from Gordon or from Isaac? I think Isaac showed a little bit more assertiveness uh, to to drive the ball. And there's there's a, a a play or at least a highlight that's made the rounds on Twitter from the game, as as it was only an in arena feed. But there was a, a highlight of Isaac kind of in transition, doing a nice little shovel pass to. In the close quarters uh, near the basket. So I think there's more optimism that Isaac can do more on the ball, and, and he showed a little bit of that. Um, otherwise, it just kind of felt like the starters just did what they had to do. Those are guys that know the kind of work that they need to do, know how to get themselves ready for the season. And so their production probably isn't as important. Um, I thought Aaron Gordon quietly had a very nice game just because he did the simple things and he shot efficiently. And I think that's that's kind of what his role is going to be again for this team. And you'll probably see that slowly expand, but he's a, he's a veteran in this league. Now he's been through this ringer. He knows how to get himself ready for the season. So I, I didn't expect any on squad. I think 15 points in the first six minutes of the first quarter. Um, they did end up giving a little bit of that away, but I think they reeled it back in. And I think that's what the coaches want to see. It's a first preseason game. So you don't want to draw too many conclusions. 
So what's the big thing here for the Magic in the preseason that they, they want to see from here on out? We've seen you know, uh, Bumba show something. We've seen Fultz play. What are they looking to get out of these uh, last couple of games before the real stuff starts in about two and a half weeks? I think the big thing that Steve established all the habits they had at the end of last season when they, when they finished 22-9 and nine to make the playoffs. I think they really believe that they can push to do more and get better if they start at virtually the same spot they did last year. I, I think... After the team's first practice last Tuesday, Clifford was really hard on the team. You rarely hear coaches say we had a bad practice, uh, especially early in training camp. And Clifford just flat out said, our practice was not good enough. We're going to have to be better. And, and so I think he, he's going to pick up that steam that they had late last season so they can build from that point rather than the point kind of further down the mountain. So, you know, are they defending at a at a relatively high level? Are they Are they committed to the defensive end? over the offensive end, and are they using that to kind of feed their offense and pick up the pace? I think pace is another thing that the Magic want to see pick up throughout the preseason as well. But really, it's going to be a lot more about behind-the-scenes stuff, practicing and approaching games the right way so that they're ready to hit the ground running at the beginning of the season. High hopes indeed for this Magic team as they look to build on the success from last season. A very positive start to the preseason. Young guys stepping up, everything coalescing. It's going to be a fun time for Orlando. And Philip, you'll have it all covered for us over on Locked on Magic. Thanks for jumping on Locked on NBA with me problem happy to be on and that'll do it for another episode of locked on nba make sure you're following me on twitter at redrock underscore b-ball and the network at locked on nba net on both twitter and on instagram hey when you're in your car why don't you tell your smart device to play your favorite locked on podcast whether that's the nba the nfl baseball and now hockey as well so tell your device to play locked on and then insert your team name there follow me on twitter at redrock underscore b-ball. guys we are done here thank you so much for listening everyone see ya